Hi, everybody. My name is Rafa Lombardino, and this is Translation Confessional. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Translating for the IT industry. Last week, I had an Instagram Live with Laila Rezende-Compan, translator, subtitler, and creator of Tradutores Iniciantes, a blog, Instagram account, and YouTube channel dedicated to beginner translators in Brazil. She invited me to be in one of her weekly live interviews, and we talked about IT translations. At first, I thought, What am I going to say about specializing in translations for the information technology segment? It sounds so boring. Then I remember that even though it's something that I've been doing for over 20 years and it seems so commonplace to me, people who haven't had the experience of working with this kind of material most likely would have questions about what it's like to work with IT translations. As soon as I started seeing the questions coming in as comments to the original posts announcing the interview, things became a little clearer, and I knew how to approach the subject in a way that translators who haven't worked with IT could understand what this specialized field is all about. One of the questions we received was about the kind of projects that an IT client may have. I started taking notes, and wow, I ended up with a pretty long list. Let's start with the most obvious one, the localization of software, websites, applications, and games. It consists of translating the interface of one of these products so that users in the target language can actually use it. Gaming localization is a whole other thing and doesn't involve only IT aspects, of course. It requires a lot of creativity to make a game engaging for the target audience. So it blends in some aspects of literary translation and subtitling, since it's about entertainment too. It definitely deserves a whole separate episode about it. But when you're localizing a user interface, you're making sure it's all usable in the target language. When I translate an app from English to Portuguese, for example, I must pay close attention to not only the space restrictions and the character count, but also to accented characters. There were a couple of times when I had to call the developer's attention to the character set used in the programming language, so they may make the necessary adjustments and ensure that the Portuguese in the final product is readable. This kind of material usually comes in a PO or an XML file, or HTML for websites. They're easy to import to most CAD tools, and usually all the programming part, all the coding, can get isolated or locked, so translators don't touch any of that. Otherwise, we can break the program. 
because we only have to translate the actual commands, the messages that will be shown on the screen for users to see. There are other cases when developers who live in a world of their own insist in exporting the coding to an Excel spreadsheet and create different columns for each language the program app or website will be localized in. That's a translator's nightmare, really, because Excel isn't meant for us to type translations into. You know how temperamental those spreadsheet cells can be. But that's how developers think they can get a visual of how one command or string in English will have to appear in the target language. So they want that kind of visual for side-by-side -side comparison. I try to tell them that they can do the same in Word by arranging a page as landscape and creating a table with different columns. It's not ideal, but it's much easier to work with a docx than an xlsx, but it's usually to no avail. They just don't listen. In any case, I import the original column into my CAD tool, translate everything, go through all the QA steps, and then export my translation to copy and paste the contents under the column where they want my translation to be. You just have to pick your battle sometimes. The next type of IT material that comes to mind is all the literature that supports the actual software, website, or app. And that takes me to user manuals and help files. Luckily, I had some experience in writing this kind of material in my past life as a programming student. To expand on what I talked about in episode 24, Technology and Translators, I went to a technical high school between 1995 and 1997 to earn the equivalent to an associate's degree in computer sciences with special emphasis on data processing. So I not only had to create a visual interface for a database program I wrote as part of my course completion project, but I had to write an entire manual to go with it as well. And because in the turn of the century, I taught computer classes to senior citizens in Brazil, I'm able to put technology into perspective when it comes to helping people understand instructions. So when I translate manuals and help files, I use the simplest language possible. I really try to make it straightforward and always think about the lowest common denominator, lowering the bar for users who may not be familiar with a concept or something else that could get in the way of understanding what the instructions actually are. In other words, you can't assume people already know what to do because technology has been a crucial part of our lives. Another type of document I receive for translation, which kind of goes with user manuals and help files is employee training programs. So think about the corporate world and how several multinational companies have employees worldwide. Well, these companies use internal systems in their offices and plants, so they need to make sure that all employees know how to use these systems to complete their tasks properly. When translating this kind of material, 
I really pay attention to the language register because it has to be understood by business executives and workers on the factory floor alike. I've seen my share of bad translations and even badly written original material when it comes to translating this kind of training. On one side, you have corporate language and all those lean Six Sigma concepts about work performance. On the other side, you have engineers and developers who, like I said, live in their own little world and sometimes are not clear enough in explaining how their products are meant to be used. So it's a fine line between sticking to the original message, which you always have to do as a translator, but writing your translation in the clearest possible way that will be consumed easily at different levels of the corporate ladder. And all of this corporate talk leads me to another kind of IT material I translate very often, cybersecurity. Employees must be very careful when using a company phone, tablet, or laptop that they get to take home, for example. So there's a lot of opportunity in translating training materials on how to keep devices protected and practice safe online behavior. Check back last week's episode on online scams for some information on bad things that can happen online. I've translated several documents about encrypting files, keeping data safe, how long documents may be stored in a company server before they must be deleted, and that all goes with the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, which you must have heard a lot about when it first came into effect in 2018 in the European Union. It regulates how personal data is processed and transferred outside the European economic area. I've translated a lot of content about that, and I am still updating some privacy policies in terms of use from clients who had to edit their original material to comply with the GDPR when users must provide personal data online to them. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Are you ready to take the next step in your translation or interpreting career? Perhaps you're just getting started and would like to find out how to get more business from direct clients and agencies. Or maybe you're an experienced professional looking to diversify into an area such as voiceover or audiovisual translation, or even specialize by brushing up on your medical terminology. Whatever your needs, pros.com training has you covered. We offer interactive courses that will take you from A to B. In other words, taking a course will help you to acquire a new skill, one that is designed to enable you to get more work or to achieve more success. We also offer email support and group coaching sessions to help you along the way. One thing's for sure, it's not a journey you need to take on your own. The question is, are you ready to invest in yourself? Take action and start learning today. Your future self will thank you for it. Visit training.pros.com to get started.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some other materials related to IT that I've translated this past couple of decades include hardware specifications, like different kinds of hard drives or peripherals that someone can buy, and also software comparisons, so people can choose the option that works best for them. That kind of material can go into tech journalism, because there are several articles out there that specialize in reviewing computer-related products and technology in general. Talking about that, my first big project as a translator, which was a six-month contract back in the year 2000, was translating articles for a magazine called Wired when they first implemented the Brazilian version of their website. I just looked them up and I can't find them anymore. Well, I guess they gave up trying to have localized websites, but it was an amazing experience back then because I was going to journalism school at the time. So translating several technology-related articles Monday through Friday for six months was the ideal project to work on as someone who had a degree in computer sciences, was studying to become a journalist, and was already passionate about languages. It was definitely one of the projects that made me decide, hey, I can translate for a living for the rest of my life. Back then, I also started compiling some resources to do my research, and one of the questions we got during the Instagram Live interview was just about that. Are there books, glossaries, and reliable sources for IT translators? Well, there are, but printed reference materials get outdated very fast considering how quickly technology changes nowadays. So it's best to go right to the source and research the literature made available online by tech companies like Microsoft, Apple, IBM, Dow Technologies. Most of these companies have PDFs or online references with terminology they use in their own products and services. So it's easy to stick to the terms that everybody's used to seeing in the IT materials. And the fact that IT companies may have localized websites into other languages provides a wealth of information as well. One of the other questions we had during the Instagram Live interview was whether there's room for creativity in IT translations. Well, the quick answer is no when you're thinking about clear instructions, interface localization, and technical terminology. That's why I went into book translations and subtitles, because I needed a more creative outlet after years of translating technical materials. Still, I guess there's a level of creativity when it comes to translating phone directory messages and surveys, for example. It's not something that will be as creative as translating for the gaming or entertainment industries, But I guess you could say you're being creative when you have to reformulate instructions that will be read out loud. It must be very clear and sound natural, since someone calling a company 
trying to get information or ask for assistance, won't be able to read and reread the message they just heard from a recorded operator. One of the latest examples I had of that was translating an article about how the IT team working at a hospital put together a phone directory system to help callers get information about COVID-19 and select the correct screening options so that the medical team could make decisions about their care. So when I translate phone directory messages, which is nothing but an audio programming interface, I usually read those instructions aloud to make sure they sound clear and natural and won't create any tongue twisters for the voice talents who will be recording those messages. As a voice artist myself, I know how frustrating tongue twisters can be. And when I mention surveys, I'm talking about those questions you get to answer online when companies want to know how happy you are with their products and services. It requires some level of programming because if you answer X, then you'll be shown the next relevant question and skip anything on that questionnaire that is not applicable to your answers. So I've seen the behind the scenes in that kind of translation and the programming that goes into structuring questionnaires correctly to collect consumer feedback. Very often, this is the kind of material that comes in a Word document full of tags to hide the coding behind the questions and answers. Or worse, it comes to me in an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) Still, I get to be creative when translating the material because I keep the target audience in mind. In my case, it's Brazilian consumers who will be answering those questions. It helps me to think about surveys written originally in good, natural Brazilian Portuguese and avoid everything I see in badly translated surveys that potentially make people scratch their heads before they understand what they're supposed to be answering. And sometimes creating a natural translation takes a lot of creativity. Send me an email at rlombardino at wordawareness.com or leave a voice message on my anchor page. If I get enough feedback and voice messages, I can go back to the subject and post a special podcast episode with everyone's opinion on this very same theme. By the way, my anchor page is anchor.com fm slash translation dash confessional. I look forward to hearing from you. Stay tuned for weekly episodes and subscribe to Translation Confessional through your favorite podcast app.